0: Hello, and welcome to the Winning in Work podcast, the career podcast dedicated to making work great again. I'm Nikki Thomas, global career coach, speaker, and author. Each week, I'll be talking to inspirational, motivational, career innovators, motivational coaches, and life transformers. Those are at the top of their game and they love their jobs. To find out their routines, their daily beliefs, and how they have achieved success, sometimes against all the odds. Winning in Work is all about helping you achieve your life and career goals and helping you unlock your true potential. Whether you want to find success in your career, find the right career for you, or just enjoy your work again. The Winning in Work podcast is here to prove that your future is whatever you create for yourself. I truly believe that no one should be in a job they hate. And with this podcast, I want to prove to you that you don't have to be. Today, I have a fantastic guest on my show. This is Irene Molostov, who is co-CEO of SEER Partners UK. I'll let Irene tell you a bit more about herself, but just as a little snippet. Irene fled the USSR as a child and went to Australia, where she started her career, working for one of the leading glass manufacturers. She then went on to KPMG in Hong Kong, where she worked in their management consultancy side and transformation programs. She worked with companies like BP, Siemens, BAE Systems. And then she came to the UK, started up her own management consultancy business that she then sold to see partners in 2016. And on top of all that, she's a mum to two great children who are seven and nine. So Irene, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me and um, thank you for the great intro. Where do you want to kick off? Well, I suppose,
0: tell me a little bit more about, about your childhood. As I know when we spoke, you said about if fled the USSR. Yep. Um, but it's honestly, just look at what happened. Where did you, at what age did you move? And tell me just a bit more about life How in Australia. How that's impacted
1: me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I guess uh, those experiences do shape you. So just briefly then, so we used the word uh, fled. Um, It's quite a dramatic word, and I guess I never put enough weight on it, but we were refugees from uh, what is now Russia, it was before USSR, and I was quite small, so this was 81. With my parents, we went through a couple of refugee camps, and the reason why we left is because um, we didn't want to be under communism anymore. So Mm -hmm. no one knew back then that... The wall would come down. No one knew that things would change. My parents, who are both educated, engineer and doctor, they said that no more for us and we're going to go and we're going to go to the furthest place away from USSR. Mm. And at that time, there were only three countries taking refugees and Australia was one of them and it was the furthest. So that's how we ended up there. Wow. Okay. And literally, uh, my parents, I mean, it's a story of all refugees. So we're very much not unique, but, you know, you start again, you requalify you learn the language I learned the language my sister was born there and you start rebuilding
0: I can he- definitely hear an Aussie twang as yeah. well in your accent Yes yeah, so I
1: uh, was very fortunate to grow up that second part of my I guess childhood um into teenagehood in Melbourne which is our poor Australia right now is you know having a, a bit of a setback with all the fires obviously uh, so I feel for it, but it's a wonderful place and um, I got my education there. I mm-hmm. uh, did my, went to Melbourne University, got my economics degree and did my postgrad there. Brilliant. So what made you decide to work for Pilkington? So... Um, I, like all postgrad students, we were looking for work and I really had a passion about going into industry first before looking at anything else, just to give me a good grounding and graduate programs, I think are absolutely amazing. So for anyone out there thinking, what is the best way to start? I'll say, always say, go for the big firms that can give you two to three year rotations. Yeah. And which is what Pilkington did for me. They pulled me through their corporate, you know, at 23 I was opening up a sales centre in New South Wales. They sent me on high development courses in the UK to their headquarters. And it was absolutely fantastic. So and um, you know, learning how something is produced in the manufacturing sense has given me great credibility when speaking to clients, you know, as a management consultant.
0: Mm, Absolutely. So already from the get go, you're already, as you say, traveling to the UK. Yeah. You're you're already opening up your own sales. Centres, yeah, twenty three. Did you at some point or at that point just go, "Wow, I'm absolutely
1: smashing it"? Well, Nikki, never at that point or at any point have I kind of felt I'm smashing it. I'll tell you what I do feel right now, and I felt then, and I felt always throughout my life and career is that I'm very driven. So, if I could answer a different question, is what makes me driven to do things? Mm. And whether it's get on the graduate program or get up after many, many failures, but our listeners will be interested in that as well mm-hmm. as the successes. Um, is that I feel that a person is motivated by either push or a pull factor. Mm-hmm. And the push is where you're running away from something. And the pull is where you're more achievement driven towards something. And it's been, I think, codified and noted in many, many studies that the push motivator to run away from something is very, very powerful. More powerful almost than the pull. And for me, what I was running away from is, I guess, poverty. Because as a refugee, you know, you see your parents going through lots of hardships and educated people kind of cleaning floors and not having, you know, money, you know, always to get you what you want or enough for food or clothes or whatever it is. And it's very hard times. And I think when I was young, I remember this point because I think we all have these points, these three or four points in life where you say, right, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. And I was 12 and I said, "Um, I'm never going to be poor. Okay. I'm never going to be poor. And if you said to me, what did that mean? It meant I was going to be educated because coming from educated parents, the the card to freedom was education. And they always said to us, we left the communist country to give you all the chances. They didn't really hang it on us heavily, but I always knew maybe it's a first child syndrome thing. And um, so I think all the decisions are made have been consciously and unconsciously to run away from that condition. Mm. What does being poor mean to you? Well, I think poor to me meant that I had, uh, you know, this was the 80s and I was small and to have an accent and to be bullied because of that, not Mm. to have, Uh, the right lunch at school and to be bullied about that and people laughing at my parents because they drove the wrong car or a cheap Kingswood or something. And, you know, it's everything that poor means. And um, we weren't poor in Russia. So that's not why we left. We left because there was no freedom of speech. You know, this is in the USSR. So my parents sacrificed a lot. and I thought I have to make it good. Mm. So I have to be... I mean, as a 12-year-old, you don't know what commercially successful is, but I knew that this was never, ever going to happen uh, to me Mm. and I will make it good for my family.
0: So you've obviously done really, really well in your first, in your first start of your career.
1: What made you move to KPMG? Well, I actually, from Australia, um, KPMG offered me a position in their headquarters in St. Helens. And my boyfriend at that time, uh, who was an investment banker, he had an opportunity to go to Hong Kong. And I thought, I think I'll go to Hong Kong (laughs) at this particular (laughs) stage in my career and work in consulting there. And um, I fell in love with the consulting industry when I was at KPMG. And we were Mm. doing a transformation program and these amazing people Walked in and they had confidence and they look good and they yeah. smell good and people listen to them and I thought, well, who are these people? They happen to be Accenture, who are obviously are very famous and an excellent firm. And I thought, okay, I think this is what I want to do because they come in and people listen because they have global experience mm-hmm. and they have experience of having done what at that stage was uh, an SAP program, you know, going back in the days. And I thought, okay, I can see myself doing it because consulting will represent uh, not a nine to five. It'd be really hard work. I get to travel. And most importantly, I get to work in different projects and different projects and different clients all the time. And how Mm -hmm. amazing is that? So I fell in love with consulting. And when I went to uh, Hong Kong and then later on, to work for KPMG in the UK, that's, um, I was very lucky to go and have the opportunity to start my consulting career. It's a fantastic firm. It's, yeah. 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 I mean, the
0: fact that you, that you made the jump and it was all from, you know,
1: <laughs> seeing... Seeing these beautiful <laughs>
0: people come in.
1: <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you're like, that, that symbolism is important, yeah. you know, that what people are listening to them. And I wanted to know why.
0: So what do you think made you so successful? in your transformation programs with KPMG?
1: Well, I don't know if I was so successful and I think that's such a relative firm. I think you only have to look at life to see how many successful and incredible people they are. I think I had uh, a lot of traction with clients and I was Mm -hmm. heavily utilised and I managed to start selling at a very young age. And you know, sales is the bloodline Mm -hmm. of any consulting firm. And I did that through, I guess, two things. Hard work just work. You know, um, I remember my first project, the KPMG UK, I came on the Tuesday to Britain. And then, you know, the next Wednesday, a week later, I was in Siemens in Munich by myself for nine months, you know. So as a consultant, you get dropped into anywhere. But so one is just the hard work, hard graft. I think that's been the, the soundtrack to my life. And the second is you create intimacy with clients for them to start trusting you, even as a junior that This is the person I can rely on, and they ask for you. Yeah. So that's your first sale, isn't it? And that's what we call farming. You're not exactly hunting for new clients, but selling yourself on and farming is very key in consulting. Mm.
0: I think one of the biggest things I find in professional services firms is that a lot of the time, the face of each project will be the people, such as the partners yes. or the people that are at the top of the tree. I guess how did you get yourself seen? As you say. You've got to push yourself to the forefront. Yes. There is an element of business development and being good at sales. Um, but how did you get seen when usually it's the partner, sort of senior associate level, that yeah.
1: take yeah. over? Um, I think it's very difficult in a big consulting firm. And uh, when we were fast forward selling a molten business, and we were having a beauty parade, which means you know a number, you meet with a number of companies who are interested in buying you. And uh, I I knew who I didn't want and Roy, my business partner, we knew who we didn't want to sell the firm to because we worked at KPMG and when we worked at KPMG, we had a really, really good time, but we also knew how big four consulting firms operate and there mm. were some things that were not in line with the way it's, uh, it's in line for a lot of people. They're amazing firms, but... I'm more entrepreneurial and I want to get stuff done. And I, even at a young age, I used to sit there with like my knee shaking under the table because <laughs> I knew I'd have to socialize something with yep. a sector partner, a business unit partner, and then the partner of transformation and then some other global partner. And it was like, I just want to go and get stuff done. You know, I mm. almost don't care about the credit. So uh, but he did teach me to navigate through the bureaucracy, he gave me really good skills and, and, and I just did good work and got noticed, I was very lucky. Mm. And that's the thing,
0: a lot of it is that you get pulled down in, in the politics that happens around you. That, exactly. That you forget that it's actually the work and the client, I guess, that...
1: That's the heart of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. That,
0: that is the reason why you're there.
1: Exactly. So, you've said about the good. Yeah.
0: What hasn't been so great in your, in your career journey?
1: throughout the whole thing yeah um well, so maybe this is timely to talk about Moulton then mm. because we so rory and i my business partner and i we we set up Moulton, which is a transformation firm particularly focused on oil and gas so energy and financial services mm-hmm. and we left kpmg and we always talk about we didn't leave kpmg kpmg left us <laughs> when there were the consulting bit was acquired by Atos Origin okay. and we stayed around for a year and we said no I don't want to be selling systems at this particular stage so we left and we saw a gap to do what we were specialized to do which is change management mm-hmm. now we call it transformation operating models org design yeah. and all the people side of it and uh, we left and started our own firm and there's a lot of you know war stories that come with that but What I didn't realize is in starting my own firm is that I was a little bit naive. I thought that getting clients was going to be the challenge. Mm -hmm. And actually getting clients is not the challenge. It's getting good people to work for the firm Mm -hmm. as a startup that has no brand, that has no furniture, (laughs) you know, where well, you're literally sitting on the floor, you know, and then obviously we build it up to a multi-million pound firm. But at the beginning, there was nothing and that was just a mm. promise. So getting good people uh, is both scary and exciting. So that, that was a big learning lesson for me, number one. Mm. And I guess the, another learning lesson in my career has been, and I guess this also came through setting up the business, is that lots and lots and lots of stuff will go wrong. And you will make so many mistakes, and mm. you can't learn not to make them. You know, there's no podcasts or books you can listen to. For example, you will make them, and you uh, will have those sleepless nights because starting a firm is like having a child. It's your. It was in my case my first baby before I had my own babies, and it, it's it's very difficult, and you have to just fight that fight and keep going. No. So, what made
0: you set up on your own over just getting another job? Why didn't you go to I don't know to a competitor decide yeah. to go to EY, KPMG, and
1: yeah, yeah? No, <laughs> make that's I think that's a really good question. So, I think probably all entrepreneurs or people who have a seed of entrepreneurship in them will be listening, hopefully, to this podcast, and they'll know this feeling of I think I can do this myself. Mm. Um, so some of it was kind of your, my own um, driver, you know, and the fact of what happened in KPMG with Atos, I thought, do I want to go jump ship to another big company? Because mm. BWC did exactly the same deal with IBM. Uh, okay. Right? Yeah. So it was happening across industry. <laughs> but this, but the most important thing is we saw a gap in the market. And mm. I think that this is very, very important for anyone who's starting to do anything of their own. You've got to be very clear on the gap. And we saw a gap because we experienced that the people element, you know, the org design, the change management, it was being left on the table every time we put a proposal forward and the client said, cut the costs. Mm -hmm. And as we all now know, 95% of all transformation programs fail. If they fail, that is 95% fail because of people factors. Right? Absolutely. So it's not because you've got the wrong system or the wrong technology, the wrong data scientists behind it. It's because engagement wasn't done right or the sponsorship wasn't positioned right or you didn't communicate enough with the right people. So we saw that and we thought, okay, let's focus on that only. And that's what we did. And it was the right thing to do at the right time in 2003, 4, five, six. And um, that's what we did.
0: Okay. So from 2016 is when you sold the business to Sia Partners.
1: What made you sell? So we were clear after a few years that we were going to build up a firm as a, I I think, let's go back. I think when people start their own firms, you've got two choices. It's either a hobby business or Mm -hmm. it's a capital play business. And a hobby business is a business where you're making a bit of money, You're pulling out as much money as possible from the business. It's there as a vehicle to your lifestyle, and you want to keep it going, but you don't have big exit plans. Yeah, right. Absolutely. We were the reverse of that, so we were a capital. We decided to go for a capital play, which meant that every penny went back into the firm. um, As founders, we paid ourselves last. We invested money in the management team. We invested money in IP. We invested money in marketing and branding and everything to make the firm valuable and for it to have good growth so we could attract talent. Mm. Now, there comes a point in, and we self-funded this, and I think we used to be quite proud of it, but then it ended up being a noose because if you self-fund something and it's through organic growth, that means that you really rarely have the spare cash to go and do big stuff. Yeah. So you can't go buy a team. You can't go easily start a, a different line of, you know, kind of business within a business. Um, you know, invest, let's say, I want to do something growth and innovation as part of Moulton that will need money. You, you know, you can't do that. It's all very, very slow. Mm. And we came to a point where we thought we actually need to take that next step up. The firm's doing really well. We can see the pipeline of work. But for us to make the next jump, we need to partner or to do a trade sale. But we need that infrastructure with a bigger brand, uh, more capability, bigger balance sheet. Mm. So our people could flourish and we could flourish. And that is that exit for that firm. Yeah. So that was always very clear. And we always communicated that, that that's what we were building to because I think you need to be clear with your people. Yeah. Uh, definitely. What what was the response? Um, I think a lot of people were a little bit shocked about the clarity <laughs> of the vision that we're going to build it up to this level and then at that level we'll probably seek investment. But to the management team who were all tied in and were vests. You know, we shared our equity with them, which is one way of tying people like that in. They were all very excited about the opportunity and we all therefore focused on that same goal.
0: Okay. So you're now effectively, as co-CEO, you are back into the sort of employed, salaried Yes. Back to the nine to five, as we say, in, uh, in speech marks. Yeah. Um, how is that now? Are you, are you still, do you still feel that you have the chance to do what, say, do what you want, but still make those big strategic decisions? Or do you feel that there is now, you have to take so many more people into consideration? How does it work?
1: Do you know what? Um, I feel so fortunate because I didn't realise actually that I was going to feel like this. I, when, you know, they say when a lot of entrepreneurs sell their firms and they're bought by bigger firms that they go into mental health issues because Ooh. after having 10 years of having no boss and being, <laughs> you know, no one doing your performance appraisal and, and making all your calls, you find yourself into a big, in a bigger infrastructure and do having a boss, et cetera. So it's very different. And, um, My story has not been that. My story, I've been very fortunate, and I hope that it's because we've picked the right partner or the right buyer for us. Mm -hmm. Sia Partners is, I would say, um, the fastest-growing global boutique, really, in management consulting in the world. We're at about a quarter, well, we've passed a quarter of a billion turnover. We're about at 300,000. We're growing organically, strongly. We're acquiring, and it's a 20-year firm. Fundamentally um, has one primary shareholder. Um, I'm an equity partner, but I'm talking primary, it's the CEO. And he is accessible. He makes decisions very clearly and timely. Um, And he's amazing. And I never thought that I would find myself talking like that about my boss. And I don't know why, but there you go. I am. And um, he's amazing he is very clever he's forward looking he's on the edge of everything that we're doing in consulting 4.0 and I can talk about that in a in a bit um but what he does because he's highly acquisitive what he does with entrepreneurs is he lets them get on with things mm. you know so he's in paris and he dips in and out and if things are going well, then that's great. And if things are not going well and, you know, we need a bit of support, he gives us support as a and direction. And um, so I'm very lucky I fi- find myself in a firm that is really, I-, I would say, the founder of what we call Consulting 4.0. So that's the New Age Consulting, which has got data science in the heart with traditional consulting services around it. Okay. We're doing some exciting work with data, uh, we're building bots, um, we're selling traditional consulting and uh, I feel I'm on the edge of the fourth industrial revolution, if not not even on the edge, kind of half my body in there. <laughs> and I, it, isn't it a fortunate place to be at this stage of my career? It really is. Yeah, and it's it, exciting times right now for us.
0: This is it. It sounds like
1: you've got absolutely
0: no interest in slowing down.
1: <laughs> well, um, I... I don't know if anyone does, do they these days? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I think. I think. I don't know if if there's. Well, first of all, I'm too young to retire, but um, <laughs> but I don't know even if you know I I could retire. That's not the issue, but I would be doing other things, and I am already doing other things because I'm on the board of uh, the UK's biggest circus. I'm the chair of that. Um, I've made some investments in fun stuff. Okay. Um, like uh, a chain of cafes um, in the UK, you know uh, some beauty firms that are fast growing in America recently become vegans. So, um, <laughs> like all like all vegans, we shout a lot about this, don't we? Um, you always know when someone's a vegan, and so I'm They'll looking, tell you. yeah. <laughs> and so, looking at kind of various alternative products mm-hmm. versus, so I'm doing. Lots of stuff that is uh, still has kind of an entrepreneurial bit, and that's what Matthew, who's my boss, has been amazing because he knows that as long as I'm doing a good job leading the UK, mm-hmm. he's very happy for me to play around.
0: What do you think makes a successful workplace? It sounds like you've you've done both. You've you've been in charge of a workplace, but at the same yeah. time, and even now as co CEO, you still are you're making the big decisions but obviously yes, with a bigger are. a bigger umbrella but what do you think makes a successful workplace because every place that you've worked at that definitely sounds that there there are a lot of positives and it's shaped you to who you are today.
1: Yeah well I think there's a number of things I think and, and a lot of them I'm finding right now we've got to see I think first of all you got to be very clear on strategic direction. I think everyone has to salute the flag. Like everyone mm-hmm. needs to, from the most junior uh, position, answer why am I here and how am I contributing? So I think clear strategy that's rolled out and understood and then kind of divisional strategy and business unit strategy sits under that is, is paramount. I think the second thing is you've got to uh, create a thriving place for junior people and young people coming through, um, through things like international mobility, through what we have. We have unbelievable seminars. Mm. We have one for Europe. So we had a thousand people in Venice for three days last year. Um, There's one for Asia that gets the same. And, you know, I was at the American one in Cancun earlier last year. And these are three-day seminars that have three different DJs on three different nights combined with exceptional hotels and lots of partying and lots you know, some work. Oh, that's the more, more DJs. Partners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had uh we had a we had like a private concert with Daft Punk actually. Wow. A year ago. Yeah. So that was in Marrakesh. So so we're doing so so I think um, the firm creating opportunities for people to have experiences, not just work but play, Mm. that they either have, that are not accessible to them or that are not at all uh, affordable to them. Mm. Um, And they're great retention. Yeah. Facts, you know, so I think that fun. So that's the second thing. And I think the last thing I would say to answer your question, what makes a great workplace is, for people to see that what they're doing is on the edge of new stuff Mm. um, and they're doing important stuff. So over the last year, as well as, you know, we've invested in three data science sectors, uh, data science uh, centres in in Canada, in um, France and in the Netherlands. So we're on the edge of what development. We're doing incredible Mm. stuff. We're selling it to clients. And that's all new. That is this consulting 4.0. You know the, the 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 revolution that's happening right now with, you know, data and virtual, um, and and all the, the the stuff that's of the future, right? Yeah. Like augmented intelligence. But also, we're doing really important stuff that we're calling consulting for good,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So
1: and consulting for good is looking at what can we do for CSR. What can we do for social? So that's all the DNI stuff, for example. Yeah. What can we do for ethics? And so we're not just preaching to our clients. We're actually practicing that within SIA. So just this morning, actually, in the UK, we run a monthly breakfast for consulting uh, for good for DNI. Mm-hmm. Half the firm turned up. Wow. Yep. So they're very well attended in our boardroom. Mm. Um, so uh, and we're doing something on LGBTQ+. Yep. We're doing something on women. The Women at SEER Partners initiative is a year old and we've changed policies, you know, we've changed procedures, yeah. we've changed our biased language in the way we recruit people. So we, we're doing lots of stuff on women. We've just started doing stuff on BAME, which is, yep. you know, black and ethnic minorities Um, Or in America, to any of our listeners, I think it's the people of colour, isn't it? That's the band. So we're doing lots of good stuff. And, you know, for example, um, LGBTQ plus History Month is coming up in February. So we're going to be getting speakers to come in. We're doing things on wellness. And we are also today kicked off a CSR initiative because... uh, the plastics problem in the UK yeah. is a biggest problem, you know, the single-use plastics. And I don't have to, even though our amazing, sexy office is all CSI and it's got intuitive heating and lighting and we, you know, we don't have old-fashioned fountains. We've got water taps are amazing, all of that. I still, at the end of the day, sometimes look and think, oh, my goodness, look at all that waste we have produced. Yeah. So, um To make decisions and to change things and for people to be part of that is super exciting for them because they're not just in the bowels of the company. They're there at breakfast saying, look, how about the next breakfast we have? We just make a decision to halve all the plastic on this table, for example, Mm. you know? Because that's one that that affects everyone. So I think those three things makes a good workplace. It's amazing because it's it's
0: all of these things. I mean, you can read countless things online, you can read so much about companies that are trying to move forward but you know it seems that a lot the, of it's smoke and mirrors at this stage but it's a it start is.
1: even the smoke and mirrors is a start right it is but
0: i think it is also what you've touched on right there is it isn't just about working on one particular project i mean if you can't do all of it then it, doing some of it's definitely helping but it's that you're looking at it as a full circle you're looking at all these different aspects and
1: making we are.
0: yeah making the the place a better place yeah uh, or making the workplace a better place for everyone no matter who they are
1: yeah i think so i think and even if we didn't want to we couldn't escape it because our clients now i've noticed if we go for rfps or we go for mm. pieces of work they want to know what well, what are the ratios of women to men yeah. you know for example or what is your policy on you know, environment, for example. And um, certainly clients like Microsoft are doing at Facebook. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just a way of doing business now. It's not like mm. a big thing. So I think, you know, not to do it is is sort of not an option anymore. Absolutely. To be honest. Yeah.
0: On the subject of moving from environment and yeah. the workplace and gender, um, you're a mum. Yes. The two young children. Yes how How do you fit everything in how How do you do it, and is it very much that you've made a conscious decision that you know family time's family time mm-hmm. work times work time I mean there are so many people that are listening that will be a mum or or a dad and will also be trying to navigate around a full time job and life as <laughs> and just trying to fit it all in how How do you do it
1: How do you do it It's not easy, and I'm not sure if the it- Anyone sitting in this chair would say that this is easy, um, especially, you know, for a working woman, mm. right? Um, but I guess there's there's a number of things that that I do or my husband and I do. So first of all, and I think one should never be embarrassed of this. We throw a lot of money at infrastructure. Mm. <laughs> i
0: think if you can you need to
1: well i, I think you've got to mm. m- make your decisions where your value add is going to be yeah and i think sometimes um i don't know maybe it's because i'm not a, a brit even though of course i am a brit now after 20 years of living here and having a passport and everything but i think people are embarrassed to talk about things like that and they want mm. to say i do it all myself well i don't do it all myself Um, So when the kids, so I've got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and nine-year-old is my biological son and the seven-year-old we adopted from a Russian orphanage. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's always been a dream. Mm. And, you know, I I had to take periods out. But during those periods, I also had to keep going because I had my own business, Mm. you know, obviously with my business partner. So that helped and we had 40 people and, you know, it was, it was a lot, yeah. you know, global clients and everything. So you fit it in. But you also, you know, we did, I did have babysitters and, and nannies to help and, and, or night, night nannies so I could get a couple of nights sleep in a row.
0: So I could take care idea. of the
1: kids. <laughs> well, when my sister had her first child and her second, that's what I gave her because she's mm-hmm. a working woman as well. She's in marketing. I gave her night nannies right? Yeah. So because you, if you have your sleep, you're, you're good to go, right? So I think infrastructure um, and flexibility is the first thing. Mm. So my husband is almost semi-retired. He worked for BP for 25 years and then he ran his own consult uh, company mm-hmm. and he, he had a capital event as well. So he's got wow. a bit more flexibility. So that's number one. Um, number two, you, I, I don't think work-life balance is a linear thing and I think that's a mistake that people Mm. believe, like they think, oh, my ideal is that run my own business or I'll go to work for a corporate and I'll go and do yoga every Wednesday and stuff like that. And it's just, I don't think that lifestyle comes with, you know, if you want, what I want to say is there are sacrifices to be made at points in your life. You will have time where you are doing yoga every Wednesday, but if you're out on the project or, um, you know, you need to do something really urgent. There may be weeks where you can't. and that mm. that is the journey to wealth creation and to building up a business. you know, and so so that's um that's the second thing. And the third thing I would say is that I've learned to live with, and I don't think I'm again very unique at this, and I, I think if you talk to a lot of uh, women, I've learned to live with the guilt a bit of <laughs> not doing enough somewhere. So if I'm at the rugby game, you know, on the Wednesday uh, afternoon and I may not be at a top meeting that I wanted to attend, then I've learned to say, okay, but while I'm here at the rugby game, I'm all go shouting, sideline, Mm mum, I'm going to go for this, you know, and when I'm at the meeting, then I'm all meeting and you balance that and sometimes you don't get it right, but you you got to say, look, I'm no superwoman and I'm going to do the best I can with lots of help and um you know that's that's it really there's no other secret (laughs) (laughs) but it's brilliant because that's the thing
0: you know you haven't put i mean there have been times you say there's been times we've taken out but the whole point was is that you've still got the vision of your career and you're also a fantastic role model to your children to you know to keep working and to keep working for what you love and you say you can't You have to balance it and you have to figure out your priorities and you need to have a strong infrastructure, but that's something that they will learn from you as they grow.
1: I think so. I I think uh, hard work is beneficial for everyone. Mm. You know, I really have never heard anyone complain that it wasn't the right thing to work hard, you know, at something. Even if you fail that doesn't mean you have failed forever it just means that wasn't the right thing for you still keep work hard you know just work hard Mm. and I think that I've taken my my boys into my office obviously lots of times and they know what I do and sometimes they've come along on meetings when they were younger and they had to and I had known my husband was traveling and and right now, it's just so accessible and it's so okay to do all that. Maybe it wasn't even 10, 15 years mm. ago. But now, actually, it's clients understand and you shouldn't be embarrassed about it. And and I think your children seeing work and ambition and the fruits of that is very important because I worry that my children aren't going to have, you know, the the push, right? I mean, I'm not going to mm. create an artificial refugee camp or poverty for them, (laughs) and nor would I ever, ever want to, God forbid. But they are growing up comfortably, you know, and some of, I do, my husband and I talk about this all the time, like how do we get that kind of ethic, work ethic, uh, when people around them are, you know, uh, are very privileged as they are as well. And, Mm. you know, I don't want them to think that going japan at easter which a lot of you know or skiing all the time whatever it is their friends around them is the norm Mm. it's not the norm you know um and if you want that to be your norm you got to work yeah that's that's it you know just find something like whether it's you're a piano player or you know you're an artist like find your passion and work yeah and you'll be successful (laughs) it doesn't matter what you do you know start podcasts like you did and just make it happen yeah, I think that's it.
0: Is that you've but you've got to know what you want, I suppose, to a certain degree, and yeah. then as you say, work hard. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the podcast, and there's just been so much that you've done. There's so much that you know, insights, motivation, and as you say, you know, it's about having the infrastructure. You're not, you are doing. You know, it's your vision. It's you pushing yourself forward, but you've got, you've had help with um, with the co-founder. Um, that yes. you, organise, uh, you run Molten with, yep. you know, being co-CEO now, you, know, you, you have had help along the way. Yes, I have. But what was it? Because people have help every day. Yeah. But what do you think makes the difference between somebody that can run their own business, sell their business, become co-CEO and raise two children versus people that are probably sitting at, sitting at their desks right now and And they just can't seem to have that vision. They just can't seem to see anything other than the work that's right in front of them.
1: Yeah. So I have been lucky, you know, that my um, business partner and our co-CEO, you know, we have worked together for a really long time and there's an element of trust and I could rely Mm. on him and he could rely on me whenever there were areas where if he had to step out, I had to step out. So I think that's one of you'll to find people like that and build those mm. kind of trust when we're like godparents to each other's kids and all that. But that came after many years. Mm. Um, I think the the main thing is that I would say to people listening is if you have failed at something, it doesn't mean you have failed. You just haven't succeeded as yet. Yeah. Right. And I think that I've had I've made such bad decisions along the way. Some of them I couldn't have helped because they were environmental um, or economical, I should say. So uh, going into and starting an office in Hong Kong in 2008, terrible, right? We've never seen that. (laughs) Um, Another one focusing or concentrating a lot of services in oil and gas before the price of oil crashed, Mm. you know, in, in 2014. So, so so, you are going to be hit with those things and then you're going to be hit with other things, just um, hiring the wrong people, people stealing or whatever it is, you know, or competitors walking off with your team and whatever it is. But you've got to just keep at it. And if you fail, you just, you've got to pick yourself up. And I think that even if you're sitting in a, a you know, it's usually kind of nine to five in the job and you think, God, I can't see my way out, you can try it and you can fail and If you don't achieve, you just go again, because if you actually, if if I sort of say to people, but what would happen if you did it? Like, what will there be to lose? Mm. If they really think about it, there wouldn't be that much usually, you know, because not everyone has to sell their house to start a business. Not everyone has to do that. You know, you can start things like you have in an organic way, different initiatives, And of course, right now with all the ecosystems that are around in whatever industry you can collaborate. So I think you just, even if you haven't succeeded, even if you find that you're stuck, just remember you're on a success journey and you just haven't found it yet.
0: Yeah, I love that success journey. I'm (laughs) I'm definitely using that one Yeah, Um, because it's true. I completely agree with you. And it is, it is that very much I think we've all had setbacks in our lives and I all think it's that when we do get hit and we get hit quite sometimes it, we may go off course for say 10 minutes sometimes we we'll go off the course for say a year 10 years but then if it's what we truly want to do we'll always we'll hopefully back. venture back
1: yeah. yeah. And those 10 years or 10 minutes where you go off it's still part of that journey you're still picking up yeah. skills you're still listening to people, you're still operating in maybe a different ecosystem, but nevertheless, one that will be helpful for you going forward. Absolutely.
0: Irene, thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking to you today. (laughs) Thank
1: you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This episode has been produced by Podcast Syndicator. To find out more about Podcast Syndicator, go to www.podcastsyndicator.com.